0: The opinions expressed on two-way traffic are those of Darren Coleman and are for general information purposes only. It does not constitute any legally binding engagement between the podcasters and anyone else. Always check with your advisors to obtain your own tax or investment advice. Welcome to Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman of Portage Cross-Border Wealth Management. In this series, Darren aims to guide you through the complexities, complications, implications, and most importantly, the advantages of having money and family on both sides of the border. On this episode, Darren welcomes back immigration lawyer Veronique Malka to discuss the potential issues for cross-border newlyweds. That and a whole lot more. Hi,
1: everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Two Way Traffic. My name is Darren Coleman, and I'm an investment advisor, senior portfolio manager with Raymond James in Toronto, Canada. And we run Portage Wealth, which is a cross-border Canada-U.S. investment and wealth management advisory firm. And today I'm joined once again with Veronique Melka. So hi, Veronique.
2: Hello, Darren. How are you? Very well, very well. Really excited to be doing this with you again.
1: So you're a founder of Canadian Law Group. So really quick introduction to the work that you do, please.
2: Sure. So I founded Canadian Law Group, which is um, a Canadian cross-border firm located in the New York area. Uh, We did, we started this in 2005, way before it was uh, trendy to be working remote. Uh, But Canadian, (laughs) now it's like, oh, big deal, no big deal. But back then, you know, I was a Canadian lawyer in the U.S. Uh, Focusing on bringing people to Canada, and of course, receiving a lot of um, inquiries about people moving south uh, when they uh, need to come to the U.S. Yeah,
1: and this is an area that both of us have found have been growing like crazy. So, you we help people when their money is in one country and they're in the other. You help people that want to be in the other country. And today, we're going to talk about a very unique uh, situation that we see a lot, and I don't think people realize it's nearly as complicated as it actually is. And this is, you know, I've married an American or I would like to marry an American. So we're going to talk about cross-border relationships today. So fallen in love. I have a spouse. They're going to have a spouse. I'm Canadian. They're in the United States. Isn't this just simple? I mean, I've watched that Ryan Reynolds, Sandra Bullock movie called The Proposal. So don't we just have to meet with somebody and show, you know, pictures of our love affair if it really was real. And then if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's on Netflix. It's a great thing to watch on a rainy weekend, which we have in Toronto today. So uh, so is, so someone wants to get married. How does the border get in the way of any of that? Or is it a problem or not a problem? What do you see?
2: Wow, well, uh, I'll tell you, this is an issue that I've been tackling um, for years and years and years. And back in my days when I was still in Toronto, I wrote an article uh, for a magazine back then called Around Town, and it was called The I Do's of Immigration. Um, oh, nice. And I remember that because specifically, I was getting calls about people saying, "Hey, we got separated at the border. My wife to be, or my wife, uh, or, my or my husband to be, or my husband is an American, and I'm a Canadian." And I thought, "Hey, let's just get married, and once we get to the U.S., he or she can sponsor me." Eh, not correct. That is you can't not- just say,
1: "No, no, this is my and and we go together." Like, why is that a problem?
2: Well, no, because really the act requires and this is the same i should mention for canada inbound and okay. i want to preface it i'm going to put on my lawyer hat right now and really firmly say this is not your legal advice
1: no it's just a couple friends talking here
2: that's right, that's right. The- every situation is so different so it's important to get the right advice but in general you have to have the right to enter the country you're going into whether it the u.s Canada um, and the right visa the right status to enter if you're going to be staying there permanent okay so you can't come in at the border and say I'm going in with a permanent intent and not have the visa that's required for that for that matter you might need a temporary intent or a visa or a job or something but you can't just show up at the border and drive through only as a visitor can you do that if you're Canadian or American
1: so the person on the board is worse than your future in-laws. Like, what's your intention here with my daughter or my son? You know, like, is this permanent? And you're like, I got married. Like, you know, yeah, put a ring on it. Is that not that? Why isn't that enough, actually?
2: Why is it not enough? There's a process. I mean, the, uh, the 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 legislation is drafted in such a way that, you know, if we didn't have that kind of safeguard, people would just walk in, change their mind and adopt any kind. There would be no immigration system, if you think about it. Because it would be porous open borders and people can do what they want whenever they want. So, the way they drew the lines was to set up a system whereby you have to apply before you come to the border. And there are different ways to do that. So, if you marry an American, there are ways to do it. If you're going to marry an American, there are ways to do it. Different routes, different visas. But it's one of those things you want to tackle the same way you tackle preparation for marriage. An engagement, wedding hall, whatever it might be, the the visa situation and your immigration status is one of these very important preparations.
1: So this is an important distinction. So this is so why don't we take this in, in a couple of steps? So the first one is I'm planning to marry someone who's I'm American, they're Canadian, or vice versa. There's work that they ought to be doing or advice they ought to be seeking about that before they get married is that right or do they just or does they do they not need to do any of this until they're actually married
2: no so so i mean i I don't like to get involved in people's (laughs) wedding plans uh but and certainly you know picking out um the meal is more important for the you know um engaged couple possibly than and more romantic than planning immigration but at some point in the engagement process it's something that the couple has to turn their mind to. I, I can't right. tell you when, but certainly not right just before you load up the car and come to the border. That's the problem. That's what we encounter. And what we might a person might encounter, and I wanna be very clear about this, it's let's say going into the US is CBP uh, at the border saying, oh, you're both coming in and what's your intention? Well, we're gonna live here. My husband is American or my fiance is American and I'm coming to live with him. Um, Big mistake because the officer will say, you're declaring a permanent intent, but you don't have the right visa for that. And therefore, I'm going to let him, the American in, but you cannot come in. So you better get an Uber. (laughs) That can be a very big problem.
1: So that's important because if they're anticipating, you know, they're going to get married, they're going to pick which country to have their lives in. They're going to have to get talk to somebody like you in advance of actually making that trip and saying, what do I need to have prepared? And is it a matter of getting the right visa? Like, what are some of the elements that they would have a conversation with you about to make sure they've got it in the right way? Like, is it a matter of like, there's one version if I just wanna live with them or do I automatically have a right to work? How does, what are some of the considerations?
2: So very uh, good questions so you have a number of different visas available if you're engaged and you have time and you want to be able to sponsor your spouse to be you're going to use something called a k-1 visa going into the u.s um in going into canada you would use uh you would sponsor the person from outside of canada the problem there is that you're dealing possibly between 10 and 18 months of wait time for that visa right so it's always the that's the, so that's
1: important too is what timelines right it's not just a matter of yeah. i'm going to wait in line and fill out the paperwork in the 20 minutes yeah. they will have this you have quite a long time to prepare
2: right so sometimes an engagement will be that long and it works uh other times some people might decide you know what no i, I don't want to wait that long our marriage can be for two they've been either they've been living together or their cultural norms mandate that they'll be married faster so in that case the k may not be feasible and that's what we often see. We see people saying we've been engaged this long, had we known we would have done a K visa, but now the wedding is either next week or it was a month ago. And now what do we do? So that becomes a little more delicate. Um, The I-130 is what we call the family sponsorship in the US or similarly we have something equivalent into Canada is a process that is also gonna take time. So how does a person actually who is engaged or recently married, come to the US without having done proper sponsorship. And that's where lawyers have to be extremely careful when counseling clients on that situation, okay? I can't stress this enough. A a lawyer cannot say to somebody, oh, just go to the border and misrepresent. Tell the officer, oh, you know what? I'm just going in. I'm uh,
1: I'm just shopping.
2: The guy bugging me in the car behind me, you know, I don't know him, uh, you know, uh, those are things that lawyers are out. Uh, it, this is not something that would ever be said by me. OK, um, no, but
1: I let me just put, I'm not a lawyer. So if I said if somebody said, hey, I'm going to go across I'm because I can stay for six months as a visitor. Right. So I'm just going to say I'm visiting. I'm traveling. I'm a tourist. But that's the wrong, you can't lie to these people. You can't tell them one thing when you really mean another, because you're going to wind up having a whole other set of problems later, right?
2: Most likely. Yeah, most likely. So it really is one of those things where you want to plan ahead. And like I said, include it in all of the preparations that you have to do. That would be my first advice. If it happens that you weren't able to do that, and you're now facing the situation where you need to move and it wasn't done, and have that meeting with the lawyer to work out something that's gonna be legal, that's gonna work with the timeline. And perhaps, for example, the spouse who's now married, who's Canadian, might have a standalone right for a visa independent of the spouse. So we might mm. bring that spouse on, let's say a TN, right? Which is a great visa for Canadian and Americans um, with a job offer, right? And then in the US, then we would change his or her status by doing what's called Got an it. adjustment of status based on the marriage. So that's, you know, again, all So you're coming we, in
1: for an employment opportunity and then the marriage is right. coincident with that. Got it. right Now, is yeah. there a di- is there is there a difference in process for someone who's just getting married or about to get married versus a couple that they've been married, they've been living in Canada for example for 15 or 20 years and they wish mm-hmm. to move to the United States. So we have an established marriage and one of them is an American citizen the other's a Canadian citizen and they say look we'd now like to you know work has taken us over there is that an easier process because they've been married a long time like is there a difference between new marriages and old marriages
2: well that would probably go to the uh good faith factor of the marriage so once uh, an officer looks at a sponsorship application by a married couple they're going to ask uh, assess the good faith of the marriage and this is where i have plenty of funny stories i mean I'm, i really think we should have like a reality show on immigration lawyers because the stuff we see is really hilarious
1: okay. so give, give me an example of some zany story about where this has happened you got to be careful to change the names here to protect you the know, innocent,
2: well, i'm not right? even going to use names and and i would change the facts let me think about it but what i was going to tell you is is you know the, the sponsorship has to happen um, one way or another. Whether it happens before, or it happens after. Consult with the lawyer, find out how to do it. And um, I, I think the the work permission is part of that. You file for a work permission as you file for an adjustment of status and a sponsorship. Okay. So there, you know, it, it's a really there's different steps within the step of the sponsorship. There's also travel permission because once a couple is in the U.S and they do a sponsorship for marriage um there is a period of time where the sponsored person cannot travel out of the US or that okay. that sponsorship would be deemed abandoned so you have to apply for a work permission as well as a travel document so those are all pieces of the application that people don't often realize now-
1: but is this like you can't travel for three weeks or is it three months like what what how limiting would that be for people how what would that timeline look like
2: it's usually about 90 days approximately Okay. All, okay. all these time zones are like time assessments are subject to change on how this based on how busy the visa offices are okay so well wow, that's a
1: whole other wrinkle that i don't think most people would be aware of um so so this is important because i think when people are getting married they realize that there's lots of change and and that would make sense that there's probably things to do in the immigration side and and but I think for a couple that's been married a long time they would just assume that well we're married why can't we do this like our cell phones will work so why can't we just get in the car and go so you're right they do need to be very mindful that the same rules will apply to them
2: it's the same with your field right the finances people might move and then realize after the fact oops you know you, you oh they be
1: just afraid. they always <laughs> screw this up yeah that's why that's why we have a great practice right
2: so I. I I really think that, you know, a move is often seen, especially between U.S. and Canada, which is, I think, why we wanted to do this, this podcast series, yeah. is that, like you said, you know, the phone works and the border is so porous. And we've been doing this for years, right? Like I was a cross-border shopper since I was five. I mean, I, you know, who, who bought stuff in Montreal? Um, you know, it, you, you just went to Target, right? In the US, right? And we all have
1: the same, you know, celebrities. But people, it's a bit, there are different processes. It's like we're two different countries or something like that. It's really
2: <laughs> very uh, much. But
1: I think what, but but I think what you and I see quite often, and we see this with the financial decisions, where people will move and they don't realize that the systems don't align, the investment systems, the compliance systems, and they're wildly different. And my friend from Newfoundland has a great word. He says it's tangly and it just, it tangles people up and, and you have the same issue with immigration rules. It's way more complicated than people think it is. And you and I usually, I'd say 70 or 80% of the situations we get are people that have done things and then not realize they've, they've tangled themselves up right it's not it's not as frequent that people come to us in advance and say how do i do this fairly seamlessly what are the things i have to be mindful of or attend to or structures or things i can put in place to make my move easier if you're listening to this and you haven't moved yet call us and we will show you all <laughs> the potholes and the barbed wire and all the other stuff that you're going to get caught up in this you know legal and compliance and tax fence that you got to jump through um so we wind up having to untangle it and that's where it's expensive and Problematic, and and in your case with the border, you've got people with guns that if you don't do it right, not to scare anybody, but um, now let me add another wrinkle into this. And you have a, a family that's in Canada and they want to move to the United States, or vice versa, and you ha- and so one is an American citizen, one's a Canadian citizen, but they have children do the kids have these rules like are this the kid and auto are the children automatically dual citizens are they just one or the other based on where they're born how does the complexity of the child enter into all of this
2: that's a very good question question okay so one of the things that I do really like is that um children who have one parent who's American one parent who's Canadian um have an entitlement to citizenship through the that parent so the U.S. and the Canadian side have different ways of securing, um, in Canada, let's say it's called proof of citizenship. Unfortunately, once again, it's an 11 month wait time at this time. But we will treat the child, depending on their situation, a little bit differently than the sponsored spouse. And in some situations, we will have the child also go through the sponsorship. It really depends on the case. But yeah, kids have a little bit of a different treatment than the adults, a little bit.
1: Now, are there also things that um a canadian-born child of an american parent do they have to at age 18 pick a citizenship or renounce a city are there is there anything because i remember hearing a little bit about this and maybe other people heard this that when the kid's 18 they need to do something to validate is that true or is that just a myth
2: yeah for the u.s that is true i have friends in that situation And, um, you know, the, the general advice I have is take care of it before the child turns 18. It's a lot simpler, right? So once again, when you have those talks before or as part of your relocation and mobility strategy, you can plan ahead. This is always harder to do once you've moved. And like you said, we're untangling for people, you know, planning ahead is better.
1: Now, alongside that, uh, one thing that we often see is the people that uh, don't consider themselves to be a citizen of a country that they were born in. And this is a very common issue on the Canadian side where we have what I call the accidental American. So the person that says, look, I was born or my parents were American and I got a passport or I happened to be born, there, but I've never lived there. I don't, I don't, I'm not American. I mean, yeah, my passport says I was born in Michigan, but I'm not. So they perceive themselves to be Canadian, not American, despite where they were born. Do they have any complexity or can they just ignore the fact that they're American and just say, look, I am Canadian. So none of those rules apply to me.
2: And you're talking about immigration rules or.
1: So, yeah. So they just say, look, I'm well, that the, the tax thing's a whole other issue, which we'll talk to separately. But from an immigration perspective, do you often encounter that where somebody says, look, I'm American or I don't I don't I what I wasn't born there. But, but all the rules still apply, whether you think you're a citizen or not, right? Because it comes with you.
2: Uh, it, absolutely. Listen, my my response to that has changed in recent years. Um, when, when and, and this may go um, against some of the advice that you might give and something that we should talk about together. But I think that the more citizenships a person has, the better. And in fact, there is okay. a high net worth uh, citizenship um, trend, let's call it right now of people who want to secure as many passports as possible, simply because of the instability in the world. And we've seen Mm -hmm. it. We don't have to look far to see what happened with Ukraine and then boom with Israel and then boom, name the next place. I don't know. But the reality is if people want to move and we've had those requests, we've had people saying, listen, you know what? I don't know where the world is going. I don't know who's coming into power." But this is my opinion, and I want to be able to get the heck out of here, whether it's out of the US or out of Canada. And that is something that I see growing more and more now. And people seem to be wanting to be much more mobile and have that extra passport in their safety deposit box. If case for whatever reason they might need it. So that might surprise you. My answer, I if I said somebody somebody said to me, Oh, I don't consider myself American, I would rarely recommend a renunciation of that citizenship unless they ran it by you and you said to me for this person it makes a lot of sense because of the dollars and cents attached to it right on taxes or however but other than that i would say to people this is gold okay there are places in the world where they will sell their children to get one of these passports.
1: oh yeah they'll get okay. in a boat and row at 90 miles across an ocean full of sharks to get I mean, to
2: this right really You know, so I don't, I I think people should see that as an advantage as opposed to, you know, something holding them back.
1: Well, it's interesting. We talk about what some of those catalysts are that make people say, I want to move. I want to do this. And, and the renunciation of a a citizenship in the U.S., we tend to see that when people are, you know, they've had a green card in the U.S., they're coming back to Canada or the accidental American saying, like, I was never American. And usually the trigger for that is that there's only two countries in the world that tax based on citizenship and it's the United States and Estonia. So for them, it doesn't matter if you don't live in the United States, you always have to file us tax returns and you may or may not pay taxes. It depends on where else you live and what's happening, but you have to file an obligation and people are like, I don't want to be bothered with this. So if I have no desire to be in the United States or whatever, why am I still dealing with dealing with this? So there is a process which could be very costly, actually. So people have to be very careful of it. Um, but you're, I think what you're you're touching on is a very important idea that people want optionality because the world is moving a lot. And what you perceive is good for you or your family from economics or safety or whatever it is, that's moving. And there's been, as you say, you don't have to look far to see what's stressing people out. Um, And I think what uh, we are seeing some people that are Canadians that are saying, "Um, what else can I do? Because Canada's tax system is not based on citizenship. It's based on residency. So you can depart Canada if you don't live here anymore, but you get to retain your citizenship. Now, again, there is a process might be expensive, but people are saying, well, if I don't want to be part of this tax code anymore, for whatever reason where else can I go? And then I have to figure out, can I actually stay in that other jurisdiction? So, and there's countries that are offering golden visas and other things to say, look, if you can come here, but here's the format and they're trying to attract capital. And I think what we're seeing is an interest in that rising, um, not just because of what's going on in the world tax wise, but also the, the technology you and I are using has enabled people, knowledge workers to work anywhere. So if and it may just be climate. Look, I look, it's crappy out here in Oakville, Ontario, right now. I mean, this would be much nicer in Dominican Republic or Bahamas or <laughs> Portugal or something, right? right. Uh, so we're seeing that mobility increase. Um, but the but you're right. You there might be a lot of catalysts for it. There might be economic, political, weather, right? But they have to do it properly.
2: Absolutely. Like I said, all along, you know, planning is better. Prevention is better than what's the expression. You know, you don't want to un- undo the damage. Untangling is costlier than, uh, And listen, you know, when I think about what a consultation with a, a, an immigration lawyer costs and people are always fighting to find free consultations. Well, you know, first of all, you get what you pay for. Like, number one. Right. Number two, I had a
1: friend of mine. Cool. He said, you want to pay peanuts, get a monkey. Right. <laughs> I love that line. So, yeah.
2: I like that. So the the reality is um you know what is a, a consultation? It's nothing. You know, it's 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 a drop in the bucket, especially when people are planning big weddings and everything else. I mean, I still would say that the cost of a sponsorship might be less than the cost of a wedding dress. I say this because I married a daughter and I I I I really somehow wonder why people are so hesitant to look at the complexities of the immigration program and think somehow they can do it, or it's not important. This is as important. You're gonna spend all this money on a wedding and then get separated at the border. And I really, I've, I've seen that time and time again, that people don't consider this as important as it is. And I would caution them greatly to say, this is as important, if not more, because if you don't have that ability to move together, Like everything else is secondary, right? Are you really like getting married for the right reasons? And are you going to be able to live together? Just it's upside down really sometimes.
1: Well, I think good advice is if you want to spend a lot of money, do it wrong. And this is why (laughs) Brian Baumler and Mike Holmes have TV shows, right? Just renovate your kitchen by yourself and discover what that was really worth. And I think part of the problem is that, you know, like, like everybody knows this, but yet people will still attempt it. Um, and I think part of the problem is the internet, right? Like we, you know, WebMD for doctors and all the ways people can Google what they think the answer is and get incredible. Like TikTok is full of wildly, shockingly bad financial advice. Um, and playing the home game in this area is really not a good idea.
2: Nope. And forums are the worst. You know, people who post say, well, this is what happened to me. You'll be fine. What? Like, You know, why would you say that? And then the person might attempt it and be met with a very different response because their situation had a little factor that made it, you know, sometimes the the little tiniest difference can change the fact scenario and the solution fully. So I wouldn't be doing this work if there wasn't work to be done. It's a great area for lawyers to be in. I I think immigration is a positive thing. We help people, we give them something. Most lawyers, you know, don't do that. They undo damage, but we can help people plan forward, and it's a positive thing. As opposed to, right. oh no, my divorce lawyer. Oh, oh no, my bankruptcy lawyer. I mean, for lawyers, we have a really rough rep in a lot of areas. Um, but this is—I always say, you know, when I switched from family law to to immigration, I started getting cookies and gifts. It was great. Yeah, you got friends
1: <laughs> all of a sudden, right? You didn't have any <laughs> those before. Yeah, was yeah. Well, I, I just think, look, most people don't do this very well. And if you think just being in line at the airport with the person in front of you who apparently is never every, every time I go through airport security, I have all the people who've never done it before in front of me. Uh, and that's easy stuff. So one of the things that we should also talk about really quickly is as people are going through this, who do you think they should have kind of on their team? to deal with some of this complexity, complexities. So they wanna to move to Canada, the United States, along with an immigration consultant or an immigration attorney, help them make sure they do that part right, because that's really essential of getting across. Who are some of the other, or what are some of the other professionals or areas that they really have to get expert advice in? Who do you think they should kind of assemble around them or seek advice from?
2: Well, depending on the family, I would say immigration, I would say financials, such as yourself, um, tax, and we know people in this who are cross border tax experts because we know that a Canadian tax expert might not agree with a US tax expert mm-hmm. and the client can be lost in between. Right. Probably. That's right. So and um and I would say, you know, if the person has a business, um then they will probably want to consult a corporate lawyer who ideally has dual licensing US Canada, but if not, a corporate Just lawyer There's like 5 of those. Right, Right. (laughs) five of them. I know, I know, but but that is important. What's going to happen with the business and 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 cross border trade? Right, Uh, imports export. There is that is a category of uh, specialty in within immigration. I do not do it. I know people who do. Um, And then lastly, we don't have him on today, uh, Freddie, but somebody who can advise them about moving and purchasing property, renting,
1: accessing credit. Right.
2: Exactly all of that. So it's a team. That's a team. Um, but, you know, start with one person, and that person, um, as a righteous and professional, will send you to the other people you need, you know?
1: Well, and I think that's an important element. So when if people are looking for someone that can help them, I think it's not just that person, but who are they connected with? Because yeah. they should have fellow travelers that are in complimentary services, right? So it's like, I, you have to be a guy who knows a guy. That's my joke. Um, right. Because it's we have to know where the other professionals are, and we have to know the right answers from them, right? This is something that, you know, we have five CFPs in our team. We can't give tax advice, but we're pretty sure we know what the right answers are supposed to be. Right. Uh, and you made a really good point of someone having an expert in one country, expert in the other. Well, if they're not an expertise, if their expertise isn't in both countries, because you have Canada, U.S., and then you have the gap in the middle, which is the tax treaty and other issues. They can often, and we see this in the financial world all the time, someone's got a U.S. and a Canadian accountant. No, 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 I need a cross-border accountant to see how the tax treaty apply. Because they'll often get it wrong, and they'll create structures and things that are great for one country, but terrible in the other. And the problem for the client is they don't know how to referee this this match. You know, right. and I, I can appreciate the confusion. You know, years ago, I had to get my roof redone and I got three different quotes from roofers. And I, how do I know? I don't know anything about roofing. Now I got to learn about roofing to pick these apart. Um, so that's another element that I recommend when people are looking for professionals, not just what's their skill level, but whom else do they know? Because right. you're going to need, you know, a legal and a financial and a, you also, like in our case, we've had to help people physically move their stuff. So we've had to connect them with people that, you know, and you watch this on CBC Marketplace, they'll, they'll show a moving company and then the guy won't unload the truck for another $5,000. So they're scammed. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. You um, right. can tell the story, about a guy moving at a, a very expensive whiskey collection. Well, uh, you're only allowed to bring two bottles across the border duty free. <laughs> what what What's with this? Like what? Uh, so we had to navigate, how do you find an exception, an exemption for... Way more than two bottles when they're for personal use, right? So there's all these complexities that come about. Um, we've had to help people find realtors. Uh, we had a client buy a house because the realtor walked through the house with their phone and filmed everything. Um, so there's all this complexity that people and and I think it's about do you does the person you're dealing with have a network, right? So I think you'd agree that's probably valuable. That's how you and I know each other, right? That's right. That's right.
2: right. Absolutely. So, no, it's important uh, and not. A person can't be a jack of all trades. I I, I really believe that firmly. I, I thought otherwise when I was younger. As I get older and wiser, I know this to be the truth. And and so a person who says that they are, oh yeah, I know what be careful. I'm just saying it may be that they're right, but go check it out. Go get a second opinion. Um make sure, you know, that's the other thing. We always get a second opinions, sometimes third opinions, like you said, for your engaging a roofer, but for our health. Right. People go say, oh, this doctor said this. Let me see what this one thinks. The same here. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can get a second opinion just and, and I don't get insulted. if Somebody calls me and says, look, I have a lawyer, but I just wanted to run some things by you. Make sure I'm on the right track. I love that. I, that tells me it's an educated client. And I absolutely will make sure that I'm not there to steal the case or mow anyone's lawn. I send it back to them to that lawyer Say, go back to your lawyer now. He or she seems to be saying the right thing and good luck. You know, um, I'm here if you ever need me, but I think they're doing fine. I have plenty of work. The only other thing is sometimes if a person comes and we hear that there's a problem that becomes a little touchy. So, you know, my job is to tell the person what i believe and and also then there's also risk levels right so mm-hmm. i'm a low-risk lawyer i want i don't want calls from the border saying ah! i don't want that I'm in <laughs> can
1: i have one phone call veronique don't hang up right i got one phone call no you don't want that
2: <laughs> they do give you more than one phone call you can call your lawyer from the border but that's not i only story.
1: know from watching you know law and order on tv i don't actually have experience <laughs> with
2: this law. that's criminal no no so so I told you, we need the reality show for immigration lawyers. We do. <laughs> we do. They're really funny stories. Um, you know, I prepared this client perfectly to cross the border. Everything's fine. And I get that, ah, call from the border. And um, what's wrong? Officer says, I'm coming in. You know, I don't have the right visa. I need, I I, I should have a work visa. I said, work visa. But no, we, we discussed this. You're going in for a business visit. This is just a meeting. This is not, you know. I don't know. He doesn't like all the stuff that's in my truck. What? What's in your truck? (laughs) What truck? What stuff? So here's the part that the client didn't tell me is that even though we discussed everything, he's going to ride his truck with all his equipment to do hands-on work as he, you know. So once again, you know, you have to hold, you have to hope that the client will understand the concept. If a client is coming in just for a meeting, in a business meeting, and he should he or she should be dressed nicely with a laptop, that's it, that's it, a phone. And by the way, we talked about this before, the immigration authorities can look through your phone, okay? So if they're coming in with a truck full of stuff, you know, this guy might great guy, Motley Crue t-shirt. Like he looked like a worker. I said, what? You wore a suit at our meeting. (laughs) I
1: I think as part of their homework, they have to watch reruns of Border Security, that TV show to go, oh, that's really what happens, right? (laughs) Well, I, so I want to circle back to something else that I think is um, connected to this idea of having that community of, of other professionals. And one little tip, for people when they're looking for a lawyer, accountant, attorney, a financial person, is that in the cross-border space it's a relatively small community. So part of the vetting process is like who else knows them, right? So I'd say in the in the cross-border space, the, everybody kind of knows everybody that's an expert at it. So it's not that hard to do some due diligence on the person you're generally going to be talking with or interviewing because they're probably known to the accountants in the community and the lawyers. So if you're going to be out shopping for someone who says they know this space, it's not hard to figure out kind of where they come from and do other people perceive right. them to be an expert. So that's one way right. to kind of validate someone who might be advertising. So, or that you trip right. over, right. Go and find that's out who right. else is in this space and they'll probably know each other.
2: That's correct. Right. And, and for sure, in terms of my uh, community of cross border lawyers, I know who's who and everyone knows me and we're part of panels and we're part of, you know, um, associations and uh, different groups and working groups. We work with the government. I mean, I was part uh, one year of a working group for the CBSA. So we were the liaison between the bar and the guys at the border, CBSA. So we were getting the information right away. And we were able to go back and say to the officers, what is it that you want to see when somebody comes to you? And the officer would say, you know what? Just be ready. Come to me with a full of information don't just come and go uh what do you need officer because we got a lineup of people and these are great (laughs) tips
1: that you know you can read the manual but you got to know the detail of what to do right
2: yeah yeah but you also on the flip side don't want to come and tell the officer what they should be doing right don't show up with your curse fan at the border and say officer i know what you need to be doing here Because guess what? I don't know if you'll get in, okay? Because these guys have more training than most of us. Um, while they are not the ones sitting at USCIS, in, their office, in our office, the guys at the border and the people at the border have some training in immigration, and they are right. there to assist. But they, like you said earlier, are the ones with the gun. They are the ones who make the final call, and they have full discretion. So definitely and their them. power
1: is amazing like it it they are the most powerful person in the universe when you're crossing the border if they turn you around it's a disaster it can be really really problematic right so and they can just not like your face in a way and send you away so it's a really really tricky thing and i don't think people realize it uh, like i've watched people get in little arguments at, at when i'm crossing the border at the airport and i'm like what are you doing like just be really nice to that person for 30 seconds just be nicer right. than you've ever been
2: Yes, right. it's so correct what you're saying. It's so correct. It's it's really important to be, I call it humble. You got to be humble at right. the border and as opposed to antagonistic. Um, I had a client once who said to the officer, why is it taking so long? I mean, it's just the, the backyard of the United States. It's Canada. Oh boy, this guy didn't get in. Okay, because that's just enough to trigger, you know, uh, the backup of somebody who's devoted their life to protecting the yeah, border yeah. and ensuring compliance with the laws. Don't come there with an attitude. Um, I, we generally border coach our clients who are going to cross to make sure we can tell them that. If I pick up on an attitude by the client, I know how to humble them pretty quick um, by telling. You're going to give them the
1: rehearsal smackdown. You're going to just do know. that in rehearsal. You're going to smarten I'm up.
2: Really does it, but I do, because at the end of the day, we can prepare the best package, but if the client shows up at the border and doesn't present it well or cops an attitude, they're not getting in. It was the best package. Everything was fine. But like you said, the officer didn't like their face or found them rude and didn't believe them. And so untangling all that afterwards is very difficult. They can also make an exclusion order so people need to be aware they can prevent a person from coming back with before making a separate application to re-enter. There's a lot of damage I can wow. Happen.
1: Yeah. Okay. So tread carefully here. Put Veronique in your corner. She'll tune you up before you go. So, all right. Well, look, this was a great conversation. And, and I, I'm glad we talked about some of those various scenarios. And obviously, there's even more ways that this uh, can tangle people up. So so with that, we'll be back to talk about more ways that the border is complicated. And I'm glad you are on our team to help our clients when they've got some of these situations for themselves, their families, their co-workers, or colleagues. So with thank that, you for- thank you very yeah. much for your time thank today.
2: You. Give it to me.
1: Okay, we'll do the gang signs again. Okay. All right. I I have to give you a quarter as a royalty on that one. Thank you, Veronique. We'll see you again.
0: This has been Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman of Portage Cross-Border Wealth Management. Thanks for watching and listening. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for new episodes, send us an email at two-waypodcast at gmail.com. And you can find the Two-Way Traffic Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. This series is a production of the Acme Podcasting Company.
1: On behalf of the Two-Way Traffic Podcast and Portage Wealth of Raymond James, Thank you for listening to this conversation. This podcast has been prepared by and expressed the opinions of Darren Coleman and his guests and are not necessarily the opinions of Raymond James Limited. Statistics, data, and other information presented are from sources Raymond James believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of securities. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as providing legal accounting and or tax advice. Should viewers have any specific questions or issues in these areas, please consult your legal tax and or accounting advisor. Raymond James Limited is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James USA Limited is a member of FINRA and SIPC. Raymond James Limited and Raymond James USA Limited financial advisors may only transact businesses in provinces and or states where they're registered.